can we just give it up for our amazing deacon? That man is trilingual. I wouldn't be surprised if he could speak all your Shanghai four languages. Oh my goodness. I could barely get by on English alone. Uh, yeah, and I mean, yeah, great. We, we've got so many opportunities, guys. If you um, are interested and you feel compelled, the Spirit's leading you to, to help out and, and, and pitch in here at uh, CCC, we've got lots of different opportunities to help you find out what you're good at, okay, what you're gifted in, and then we want to help plug you in into uh, a position or an opportunity to help you build on those gifts. And I'm looking at young people too. It's not just people that have kids or are older. Young people, I'm calling you out right now too. You can do all of this. You can do all of that. You can do this as well too, okay? Age, age is but a number. So all of you guys can do that too. Okay. Um, that was not how I intended to start, but that's how it is now. Okay, so in 2014, uh, my brother and I, we got the chance to go tour around uh, Europe, uh, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite countries I, I ever got to visit uh, was Germany. Oh my goodness, if you've never uh, had the opportunity to go to Germany before, I highly recommend it. Are there any Germans here by any chance, or German heritage, maybe, okay. Mr. Michael York, okay, that's awesome. Uh, if you've never been, my goodness, guys, it is amazing. It's one of the best countries I've ever been to. The food, I travel for food. I, I, I choose places to go strictly for the, the dish that I can eat there, um, for the, the, yeah, just all the amazing, the pork knuckle. If you've never had pork knuckle before, German style, you gotta check it out. It is amazing. And also, what, there's nothing, Nothing can really beat a piece of bread and a nice German bratwurst. Amazing. Best combo ever. Uh, anyways, uh, I, I, there, there is some, you know, regret about my trip is because I wasn't, I wasn't educated in church history yet. I wasn't educated in, in our churches, how they were formed. Um, and I didn't know that the Reformation actually... Ha, uh, the Reformation, actually, ha, Germany had a big part, especially in a place called Wittenberg, okay? I don't know if I pronounced that right, but in Wittenberg, that's actually where a guy named Martin Luther, who uh, wasn't quite happy with the state of, of the church at that time, he nailed what's called 95 Theses, okay? He nailed his 95 Theses onto the door of a church, and it's actually quite interesting what he says in, in, in the 95 Theses, um, he rebuked, you know, the church leaders for, for their sale of, of indulgences. So um, essentially what that mean, meant was uh, if you've done something wrong, you sinned, but you got a little bit of cash in your pocket, you could go to the church, you go to the Pope, be like, hey, bro, uh, absolve me of all my sin, please. All right, sweet. Um, so you paid him money, okay? And, and, and the church was doing this all over the place. They're selling indulgences left, right, and center. And Martin Luther, seeing this and a lot of other different things, was fed up. So what did he do? He nailed the 95 theses. Um, and in my opinion, I think the first theses uh, is the most important, and it reads as follows. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he called for the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. And I believe, in my 
very uneducated and simple-minded opinion. I think that's probably one of the most crucial things that we can remember and learn uh, in our Christian walk is, is repentance is not like the indulgences. It's not a one-time thing that you just do and you're like, oh, okay, I'm good now. Uh, repentance is a lifelong journey. Repentance is a lifelong journey. And I believe that Martin Luther, he understood what John the Baptist, the guy that we're actually going to be talking about today, talked about in, in Luke chapter 3, which is repentance is a lifelong journey. If this is your first time uh, at Chang Watsonau Community Church, or as some of us called CCC, uh, my name is Andy. I have the privilege of serving on our teaching team, as well as our greeting team, as well as a deacon, as well as anything else you want me to do. I'm totally game for. Um, so if this is your very first time visiting with us, can I just extend a very warm welcome to you? Um, you belong here. That's all I need. That's all I really want to say about that. Uh, so CCC, um, we're actually in the middle of our series going through the book of Luke. Uh, and today we actually get the chance to look at the one uh, who came before Jesus, uh, John the Baptist. And John, I like to think of John the Baptist as a hype man. I don't know if many of you guys are familiar with what a hype man is. Growing up in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, I listened to a lot of hip-hop music. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Some of you guys may have your opinions about it, but hip-hop music, a lot of the, the groups, you know, Public Enemy, you know, Jay-Z, all those guys, they had their hype man. And a hype man, what a hype man was, was he would come on stage before the main attraction came up, okay, and he would get the crowd going. So if I had a hype man, let's just say Brother uh, Roger right here was my hype man, he would get up on stage right now and he'd fire everybody up, can I get a hallelujah? Can I get a amen? You know, he would just get you ready to go. And similarly, I think that's what John did for Jesus. And, um, and as we looked throughout our uh, scripture today, we're actually going to learn more uh, about the purpose, okay, of why John the Baptist was included in the Gospels uh, prior to Jesus' start to ministry. Um, but, but, like our, like the beginning of our passage started today, okay, we have to start with a little bit of a history lesson. All right, we have to start with understanding what's going on because Luke, the, the articulate and detailed writer as he is, believed it was important for us to know. So I think we need to take a dive into the history behind this. But also, and as we, as we learn and, and as I talk more about kind of like the, the history, um, sorry, I move around a lot, so I'm just going to move this guy a little bit. One of the things that I wanted to just kind of encourage you is how do you see, how do you see the Gospels? How do you see Scripture? Because uh, it's not just this book that we're reading. It's a living Word of God, but on top of that, it's also it's, it's, a, it's a factual historical account of what happened at that time. So how do you, how do you see you know, these words that we're going to be, that we're going to be reading, because, yeah, because they're, they're trustworthy, and they're, and like Luke is going to be detailing for us, it's historically accurate. So how does it begin? Thanks, man. 
To Luke, the arrival of John the Baptist was one of the most pivotal, one of the most pivotal events in history, uh, so much so that he uh, dates it in no fewer than six different ways. And some of you guys may be like, why would he put so much emphasis into the political and, and, the, and, and, and the, 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 the world background at this time? And, and like we were saying, it's, it's factual. And one of my favorite answers, actually, any of you guys ever heard of the Bible Project? Raise a hand, yeah? Bible Project. If you haven't heard of the Bible Project, especially young people, I, I highly encourage you guys to check it out. It's an incredible, incredible resource. Uh, one of the co-founders, Dr. Tim Mackey, when asked these questions, uh, he likes to respond this way. Fact check me. Fact check me. I dare you, fact check me. That's literally what Luke is doing. He's giving as much detail as possible, okay? So there is no doubt about what's going on. Because um, if you were lying, if you were lying and making something up, would you give so much detail? Would you give so much detail? Young people, when you lie to your parents, I know you do, uh, when you lie to your parents, are you going to be like, are you going to be like, yeah, totally did the dishes, you know, because I, I can tell you the color, the shape, the make, it's the china, all that stuff. No, if you didn't do it, you didn't do it, so you don't know. Uh, it, it's like the, the small groups I lead with, with my guys, and uh, we always do a, a weekly, you know, scripture reading. It's like, hey, Joey, did you read your, did you read Colossians 3? And, and you know, Joey's like, oh, yeah, it's totally, I totally know. Um, uh, that snake that came in and, and tempted the, the woman, right? And, and the apple? Yeah, yeah, I totally read that. And it's like, no, you weirdo. That was, that's Genesis. We're talking about, we're talking about Colossians here. This is a letter by Paul, all that stuff. So if you're lying, you're not going to be doing that. If you're lying, you wouldn't give this much detail. Um, so let's get to our history lesson. Okay, verse 1. It's, oh, if you have a Bible, if you have a paper copy, digital copy, feel free to turn to Luke chapter 3 and follow along. If you don't have it or you just want to look at the giant screen, it's up there as well. Um, so here is verse 1. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip Tetrarch of Ituria, and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, uh, John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance of the forgiveness of sins. Okay, so first name mentioned, Tiberius. Okay, Tiberius was the successor to Augustus, who was the first Roman emperor, em emperor um, and uh, this would make it uh, the 15th year of his reign, which would put it around 28 to 29 AD, okay? Luke begins by setting uh, the, the arrival of John by laying out kind of like the world background, the background of, of the Roman emperor. Uh, now, he gives three dates, and he gives more names, and this has to do with more of the political organization of where this is all taking place. If you're wondering what tetrarch means, it literally just means uh, a governor of a fourth part, okay? Places like Thessaly and Galatia, where uh, we learn later on um, uh, Paul writes letters to, uh, those places are actually broken up into four parts, um, and each part, each area, has a governor. Think 
the states, you know, think of Arnold, you know, California. Think of, uh, if you're Canadian, think of the, the premiers and the provinces, okay? So, um, you know, at this point, Herod the Great that we read about at the beginning of the account of Jesus' uh, you know, life, the, the nativity story, uh, he had already passed away, and he left his kingdom divided amongst uh, his three sons. There's Herod Antipas, okay? He had Galilee and Perea. Uh, Perea. Uh, Herod Philip, he had Ituria and Trachonitis. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. And then there's Archelaus, who had Judea, uh, Samaria, and Edom. But he's not recorded in there because... He was such a bad king, the Jews actually petitioned to the Roman government to have him removed, and that's why Pilate got instated as the governor of that area. So now that the political and the world set stage was set, Luke turns his attention into the religious situation uh, during John's arrival, which he mentions the name Annas and Caiaphas. Side note, okay, just because we're in a history lesson right now. Side note, at, there. In that time, there's only one high priest. But why he mentions two names, okay, is because Caiaphas, even though he held the office of high priest at that time, Annas, being his father-in-law and a former high priest, held all the power. So think of Caiaphas as the man on the, the, in the office with his fancy chair and everything, but Annas was the one that actually pulled the string and had all the power, Okay. And then we move on to verses 4 to 6. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. Verses 4 to 6 is a reference to Isaiah chapter 40 three to five. And the imagery given here is one of a messenger being sent out by a king. Because when a king was going to go and, and make his like royal like, like, like trip or whatever, he would send people in front of him to let them know, hey, the king's coming. You better make sure this looks good. Make sure the roads are paved. Make sure this is all good to go. Okay. Similarly, what John is telling us, okay, what this is all saying is Instead of a physical, okay, physical thing, it's more talking about our heart and lives, okay? He's telling that this prophecy, this, this um, uh, in Isaiah, is telling us that someone is coming, okay, that someone is coming to make sure to get our hearts and our lives ready for the coming Messiah. And then we get to John's message, which I love. John said to the crowds, coming out to be baptized by him. Notice that. The crowds were coming out to him. He didn't go to them. The crowds came out to him. What did he say? How did he start off this sermon? You brood of vipers. What's a brood? A lot. Vipers. Snakes. You slimy, you disgusting snakes. What a great sermon opener. I, I should have opened that up. I should have been like, y'all ugly, y'all, uh, you know, terrible. It's like, what? I mean, who starts a sermon like that? But, but that's, that's John. That's John. You brood of vipers. Who wanted to go hear this guy? I mean, people traveled 
like distances. Like a lot of scholars believe like the people that went to go see him traveled miles and miles to go see him. Uh, you know, I, I think I know why people went and saw him. He had a killer worship set, that's why. He had the best music, okay? He's got like a five-piece band up here, and it was awesome, right? Probably not. Smoke machines, that's why. He had smoke machines, huh? If you don't have smoke machines, the spirit's not moving, guys. That's just the reality of church nowadays, you know? Um, I, oh, I just personally think, though, I believe a man with conviction will draw people to him. Someone who is pointed so firmly at God, he doesn't care what anybody says because his compass, everything about, every fiber of his being is pointed at God. And I think a man like that will draw people to him. Charles Spurgeon, uh, a famous theologian, preacher, pastor, uh, he said this, set a man on fire and people will watch him burn. Being a Canadian, um, I actually have the privilege of watching uh, a church in, in Vancouver, B.C., British, British Columbia, actually kind of live this out. Uh, they, if you don't know, Vancouver is the most liberal, most post-Christian city you could ever be in in Canada. Uh, it's very anti-religion, especially Christianity. Um, so to plant the church there uh, in that climate it is quite, it's crazy. Um, but not only is this church thriving and, and healthy, it's, it's the fastest growing church in Canada. And, and I believe that the, it's, it's the spirit utilizing one, a lot of people, but especially one man, their lead pastor, Pastor Mark Clark. If you've never heard of that name, I highly recommend you, you checking him out. Uh, he uh, doesn't preach like many preachers. He preaches like... Um, there's something wrong with you. He's going to tell you there's sin in your life. He's going to tell you uh, this, 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 and that. And a lot of people at the beginning phases of the village church believe like, hey, like, Mark, you got to like chill, like take it easy. But more and more people came back. More and more people came back. They've got like, I don't know, like thousands of people attending their services now. And people genuinely, genuinely want to hear the word of God. When you set a man on fire, people will come and watch him burn. So let me challenge you with this. Are you on fire? Are you on fire in your life? Are you just kind of floating by? There's days where I know I float, float hard. I just, oh, kindergarten again. Oh, guys, come on. Come on. I really don't floating by. It doesn't matter. Are you on fire? Are you so convicted by the Holy Spirit that it doesn't matter? You just pointed at God, doing everything you can to steward the opportunities he's given you to honor God, whether it's shoveling dirt or leading a school. Are you on fire? We're going to get back to that later. So back to uh, the passage, you brood of vipers. I love that. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children of Abraham. The ax is ready at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Wow, period, period. 
at that time, Jews actually believed um, there's a second, there's a double standard. God would judge everybody else with a standard, and the Jews were going to be held to a different standard. They, in fact, felt that they were safe, okay, from judgment simply by the virtue of the fact that they were Jewish. Children of Abraham were exempt from judgment. But John told them, your racial privilege had nothing to do with it. It doesn't matter what your skin color is. It doesn't matter that I'm Asian. It doesn't matter that if you're, uh, you know, African-American or if you're Spanish or Latino or whatever. Your lineage has nothing to do with the judgment of God. Your life, your life, your life is all that matters goes on what should we do then the crowd asked john answered anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none and anyone who has food should do the same even tax collectors came to be baptized teacher they asked what should we do don't collect any more than you're required to he told them then some soldiers asked him and what should we do he replied don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely be content with your pay The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in the hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water. The one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hands to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. So there are three quick observations I like to make about this. John's message begins by demanding that people should share with one another The gospel that he's preaching here is one of a social gospel that had laid down that God will never absolve anyone who is content to have too much while others have too little. I'm thankful that we have a gospel and, and a truth where it's not teaching us to hoard things. It's not teaching us to be like, you need all the money in the world because we... Because even if you had all the money in the world, without Jesus, you would have nothing. This is a social gospel. Our job, our calling, if you want to, you know, term it that, to love others. What's the greatest commandment? If you don't know, I think you should go check that out, read that verse. Love God, love others. Second observation is this. It ordered people not to leave their jobs, but to work out their own salvation by doing those, by, by doing those jobs as they should be done. Let the tax collector be a good tax collector. Let the soldier be a good soldier. People have a duty to serve God where God has set them. In those moments when I'm like, oh my goodness, kindergarten again, please don't, I have to remind myself Okay, this is where God's placed me. It doesn't matter about whether or not I feel like I'm equipped or, or, apt, or apt to teach um, three to five-year-olds. God has placed me there, so I need to do the best of my ability to steward that timing and that calling that he has placed me in. So whether, I mean, I, I love this because there's a pastor in New York. Uh, he, he, he always uses this this example. He's like, you're not just a barista. You're a bean revivalist. Okay? You're a bean revivalist. 
you're not just a teacher, you are, I'm trying to think of a really cool one-liner, I can't. Um, you're not just blank, okay? That's not just that, okay? You're not just a janitor. You're not just a businessman. You're not just a CEO. You're not just a manager, okay? There's so much more than just that title. We have to be very, very cognizant of what we're doing, of where we are, and not to just float by. And not just to float by. You're not just a mom. You're not just a dad. You're not just a 15 or 13-year-old. Okay? Third observation. John was quite sure that he himself... He was only the forerunner. He was only the one that was coming before the one that really mattered. The, the king was still to come, and with him would come judgment. Okay? The winnowing fork, I, I love the imagery given here. The winnowing fork is an is, is a old school, uh, ancient uh, agricultural technique where they would pick up okay, uh, stacks of hay, and then they would throw it into the air. It's called wind winnowing. Um, and then the grain, which was heavier, would fall down, whereas the chaff, which is just fluff, I guess you can call it, would just be blown away. So here we have an imagery of showing the coming king is going to separate the good and the bad. John's message was repentance. It's true. But really it was j- about Jesus He's trying to prepare us spiritually and morally for someone else who is coming, who is so great that even John himself said, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. That's a position set aside for slaves in first century Jerusalem. After that, but when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage with to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other things he had done, Herod added this to him, to them all. He locked John up in prison. It was a dangerous thing to rebuke a tyrant. I mean, we live in a country where there's certain things you should and shouldn't say, right? Um, imagine that time where it was a hundred times worse. If you said the wrong thing, you made the wrong gesture, you looked at the wrong person the wrong way, you could end up in prison, and worse, you can end up dead. John didn't care. John was a man of conviction. He called sin, sin. And even though, even though he was arrested, even though and ultimately, we, we read later on in, in, in Matthew 14 and Mark 6, uh, you know, John was, uh, John was beheaded for, I mean, to, to, to please Herodias. Uh, I don't believe John regretted any of that because he was a man of conviction. After that, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too, and as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. A lot of people, like, they ask the question, I mean, if God, like, this is, this is a, a baptism of repentance, that's what John was saying, then why did Jesus, the, the sinless one, would come and want to be baptized. Uh, and, and for me, I, I think there's the one big thing is 
to identify with us. Jesus, the sinless one, identifying us with, with us sinners. He fully identified with us who needed to express repentance through baptisms. Friends, you and I, we don't have a God that doesn't understand what we're going through. Like, it may feel like that sometime where it's like, oh, I just keep, I keep doing this over and over again. There's just, I can't shake this sin. I can't fill in the blank. Our God, our Savior, Jesus, he's not standing off in a distance like, yeah, you're on your own, buddy. I don't know. Like, I've never, you know, touched that before. I've never done that before. It's like, no. He knows exactly what we're going through. You have a personal, okay, keyword personal. You have a personal relationship with the Lord, and he identifies with us. Near the end, it says, Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. Why did he spend 30 years in Nazareth when he had come to be the Savior of the world? Why don't you just think about that for a second? Why, why did he spend 30 years in Nazareth? There are a couple reasons. First, I think it was essential that Jesus should carry out the most minute and limited task of family duties before he could take up the universal task of saving the world. It was because he was so diligent in performing these little things that is showing he is a faithful servant, okay, that I believed, I believed at that moment when, when the dove, the Holy Spirit came upon him, well done, good and faithful servant meant that. You have been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Beyond a doubt, he was putting his own experiences of going through all those little minute things, growing up, being a 10-year-old, being told to clean your, clean your room. I mean, b- imagine Mary like Jesus. You got a lot of stuff on the ground. You got to pick it up and throw it in this hamper here. Imagine trying to tell the Son of God to do those little things. Like it's ins- but, but he did them. He did all those minute things. Second, it gave him the opportunity to live out his own teaching. Imagine if Jesus, imagine if Jesus was homeless the, his entire life, and then he came up to us, came up to everybody, preached family responsibility, obligation, and, and, and human relationship. I mean, what right do you have to speak about relationship and human duties when you've done none of that? You've never fulfilled that. But that's not the case with Jesus. Jesus is able to say, do as I say. Do as I have done. The last thing is this. If Jesus was to help people, he had to know how they lived. And like I mentioned earlier, we, we have a personal God. I'm sure in the 30 years in Nazareth and being a carpenter, I'm sure he's had his fair share of, of the daily, minute human relationship aspects that we all face, you know. Imagine, you know, Jesus, the customer service representative, you know. Like, Jesus, this isn't what I ordered, you know. Can you make another one? Jesus, I mean, I'm glad I'm not the son of God because I'd be like, you just go, go away. Just, you know, but he, he lived that life. He lived that life. 
It is the glory of the incarnation that we face no problem of life and living what Jesus did not also face. I'm running out of time here. So to close out the chapter, we see uh, a genealogy of, of hard names after hard names after hard names. Um, and, and, and really, in that time, it's really important uh, to, to verify who this person is. So a genealogy proved um, just that we, it proved um, it proved to us that it was who Jesus said he was. So, in closing, how does this relate to us? Why does this matter? You know, John didn't live a long life, and his ministry didn't last long as well. Uh, even though the, the length wasn't long, there's still a strong and powerful message we can learn from. And I believe one of the big themes uh, that I got, that I hope maybe you guys ca- uh, pick up as well, is the one of boldness. Uh, maybe this week, um, you're going to encounter yourself in, in a situation with, with a friend that might be doing or living a life that you know is not what God wants for them. Um, and you might have to... Asking people to repent is never an easy message, regardless of what century you live in, like even right now. Um, but what John models for us is that we need to be so on fire and pointed to God that, one, we need to look at our own lives Okay, and repent, but we also need to keep each other accountable, okay, and encourage our brothers and sisters, our brothers and sisters to repent as well. For anyone here who, you know, might have a hard time doing this, let John's message be an encouragement, and I'm looking at the young people too. I mean, if you fall, if you're like 15, 16, you follow God, this is just as much for you as the 55, 65, 75-year-old that's sitting here. Um, it was his boldness, okay? It was his boldness given to him by God and proclaiming God's word that made his message even more powerful. So let us be bold. That's my prayer. That's my prayer. And, and, and really, if you find yourself in a situation like that this week, first I would encourage you to pray. Ask the Holy Spirit, direct me, guide me, lead me, Help me with this conversation. And then second of all, check your heart. What are you saying? What are you trying to, what are you trying to convey to, to your fellow brothers and sisters? If it's, if it's tearing them down, then, then I, would, I wouldn't say it. We have to edify the body, not tear it down. So in closing, let us look through this whole chapter of what John's trying to say. Let us be bold. Let us keep each other accountable. And let us live a life of repentance each and every single day. Will you join me as we close in prayer? Jesus, we, uh, we're thankful that, uh, that John's message, the, 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 the message that he was given us, doesn't end there. It, it, comes, it comes with good news. We know that after that we, we can have life we can have salvation through professing our faith in you. So I'm glad, that, I'm glad that it doesn't just end with repentance, that we can live life to the fullest through you. I pray for each and every single one of my brothers and sisters here that, um, that if there are things going on in their lives, that there, if there are 
uh, certain things that we need to look at. I pray for the courage and boldness that they speak out, pray, and, and ask for forgiveness and repent. As well, Lord, I pray that um, for, for those that may have difficult conversations ahead, may you give them the strength, the courage uh, to speak the words that you want them to say. And Lord, I pray that as a body, as, as uh, a church, Lord, may we get, we may become more like you. May we get rid of the sin in our lives and may we seek you every day through repentance, through worship, through praise. It is in your name we pray, Lord. Amen.